Today's show is brought to you by Pleasureland RV, best in the Midwest. Learn more at PleasurelandRV.com. Today's show is also brought to you by The Vault at Stock and Barrel in Egan, a collection of specialty and pre-owned firearms for collectors and enthusiasts. Learn more at StockandBarrel.com. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830 on this Sunday, September 17th, 2023. Welcome, everybody. I am Rob Dreesline, Managing Editor-Publisher of Outdoor News, and I will be with you for the next one hour on this fine station. We've got a lot to talk about involving Minnesota's great outdoor scene. This is a huge weekend. We had the archery deer opener yesterday, which, if you've listened to this show, I've spoken about ad nauseum, now also includes... Crossbows. Uh, crossbows are now legal during the general archery season, which, like I said, kicked off yesterday. I see that Dennis Anderson, in his Friday column in the Star Tribune, had some pretty strong opinions about that. Not happy that uh, crossbows are now legal, but uh, that came to pass during the most recent legislative session, and I suspect that it is here to stay. We also had the rough grouse opener yesterday, squirrels, and I believe also bunnies, rabbits season kicked off here in Minnesota. Uh, we've got a full show. A gentleman named John Hansen from the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources is going to join us in a few minutes. We're going to talk about some special fishing regulations around the state that you can comment on. There is a public input period that I think it runs through like October 20th for most of these potential bodies of waters that could have special regulation changes. So there's opportunities for the public to chime in. Also, we're going to talk a lot about ducks. Uh, a gentleman named John Colusi from Ducks Unlimited. I think he's based in Michigan, uh, but he uh, represents the organization as a research scientist nationwide. He's going to join us. We're going to talk to him quite a bit uh, about uh, the most recent waterfall status report. That's something else I've mentioned a little bit in recent weeks. I'm going to challenge him a little bit on some of my thoughts about that recent report and the status of ducks here in North America. I mentioned that yesterday we had several small game and, of course, the archery deer opener. You know, another season that opened yesterday that a lot of folks don't realize because it's a fairly small season it affects a really small portion of minnesota is the sandhill crane hunting season uh sandhill cranes are probably the largest bird in minnesota certainly by height they stand like five feet tall they might be the heaviest even by weight now if they're heavier than a trumpet or swan or not which we can't hunt yet but uh, that's that's a whole other topic and sandhill cranes are not to be confused with whooping cranes, which are even larger. They're mostly all white. Sandhill cranes have kind of a tawny appearance. Uh, whooping cranes are even larger and cannot be hunted, period. Uh, there has been an effort to try to restore whooping cranes across a good chunk of the eastern United States, including an effort in central Wisconsin. So occasionally we do see one of those whooping cranes here uh, in Minnesota. Again, that's a whole other topic. Uh, but uh, the extreme northwestern Minnesota, we have a sandhill crane hunting season. We actually have two flocks, two different flocks of sandhill cranes that come through Minnesota. There's the so-called mid-continent flock that uh, comes down through, as you might guess, the central portion of North America. Those are the birds that stage down at the Platte River in Nebraska every year. And there's hundreds of thousands of them it's one of the great wildlife spectacles still you know in the united states when those birds are staging they they make quite a racket they've got a great call i mean they've got this old distinctive ancient sounding call i, I love sandhill cranes they're also delicious a lot of folks don't want to admit that they're you know very 
you know, bird watchers love sandhill cranes. They don't like to necessarily admit that sandhill cranes are quite tasty. They've got a really dark red meat. Some folks call them ribeye of the sky. Uh, this other flock is called the, the East Central North American flock, and, and we're kind of at the northwesternmost point in the East Central flock's range. Some of them nest here. You know, um, They stage like at uh, Sherburne National Wildlife Refuge north of the Twin Cities, also Crex Meadows uh, in northwestern Wisconsin. And then they work their way down kind of in a southeast direction across the Midlands portion of the United States down through Tennessee. Uh, and we do not hunt that flock here. Uh, I think hunting those birds would be a little more controversial, even though they look identical to the uh, mid-continent flock. Uh, but that mid-continent flock does get hunted in other states, so I think that's one reason it's been a little less controversial, that hunting. I think we start talking about hunting uh, these eastern birds, eh, you know, down in southern Minnesota south or central Minnesota, like they say, that Sherburn area. I got a feeling there'd be a little more controversy about that. I, I think we should. I think there's enough of those birds to handle a limited harvest, but uh, we're not there yet. I also suspect it might be fairly controversial in Wisconsin. Sandhill cranes are kind of revered over in Wisconsin. I don't know. I, I dare say sandhill cranes are to Wisconsin as loons are to Minnesota. Uh, the difference is I think uh, sandhill cranes taste a whole lot better than loon. And there's a whole lot more of them. But nonetheless, uh, that is a season that kicked off yesterday in extreme northwestern Minnesota. It runs through October 22nd. So that is not a, a season that, that goes very long. A lot of these other seasons go much, much later. With that, I think we probably should get in a break. Uh, we will be back. We're going to talk about uh, some of these new fishing regulations that are being proposed uh, across the state uh, for a number of lakes. We've got a DNR staffer named John Hansen who's going to join us in a few minutes. And then we're going to talk a whole bunch about ducks with someone from uh, Ducks Unlimited. Ducks.org is their website. Uh, so I'm looking forward to some great conversation. I hope you stay tuned with the rest of the hour. We will be back. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. More coming at you after these messages. Welcome back to WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. I'm Rob Dreesline on this Sunday, September 17th, 2023. We're almost officially into autumn, and this is a big hunting weekend. But there's some public policy things cooking with fishing regulations, an opportunity for citizens to get involved. There's a lot of lakes involved, and I thought uh, perhaps we should talk to someone from the Minnesota DNR a little bit about what's cooking on some of these special fishing regulation proposals. So John Hansen, DNR Fisheries Program Consultant, joins us now. John, thanks for carving out a few minutes for uh, for the broadcast. Of course, Rob. Always appreciate the time. This is the time of year when the DNR kind of looks ahead to open water season in the upcoming year, I presume, and has to make the determination whether or not to tweak or alter some of these special fishing regulations that we have around the state. We've got a lot of special regs in Minnesota, don't we, on a lot of specific waters. Yeah, we've got a couple hundred lakes with special regulations across the state. Some are in our category of called special, some of our experimental, which just means they have a set end date. But yeah, this is the time of year where through our regular planning process that is fed by our survey data, we consider some potential regulation changes and we're really asking for public input on our proposals right now that if they are supported and we're going to go forward, would go into effect next spring. So let's rifle through a few of these quickly. Uh, right at the top, sunfish on Winnebagashish and connected waters in Beltrami, Cass, and Itasca counties. I've kind of thought that's a best-kept secret, some of the great pan fishing on Leech and, and Winnie and, and some of those lakes in that area. Uh, what are we trying to accomplish with that one? 
Yeah, this is, you know, kind of a tail end of some of that uh, quality sunfish initiative work that we've done over the last few years. And we put a bunch of special regs on waters throughout the state. Um, and there's a couple of proposals. This is one of them. And then up in uh, Crow Wing Lakes as well, where there was some connected waters that um, because anglers moved between them and, you know, part of the quality sunfish initiative, it got a reduced bag limit. And then there were some other remainders like Winnie didn't have a reduced bag, but it was actually creating some kind of problematic enforcement issues. Um, mm. And there's some growing populations of sunfish and growing interest. And so that one's largely an enforcement kind of simplification thing. Uh, but, you know, folks are starting to target quality sunfish a lot more. So I wanted to add it to that, to that mix. I'm very interested in the next one, Northern Pike in the Gull Lake Chain in Cass and Crow Wing counties. Talking about trying to uh, maybe boost the size of the, the Northern Pike fishery there a little bit. What is it, a slot from, did I see 30 to 40 inches? Yeah, it's actually, the proposal is a slot that would make it the same reg as our, uh, you know, our northeast zone. Um, mm-hmm. As as folks hopefully remember, we have three zones in Minnesota that kind of are our statewide pike regulations. And it's driven really by the population parameters of those those pike populations. And the pike in the gull chain seemed to match a little bit better with both recruitment and growth rates of uh, those fish in the northeast zone. And it's a mm. heck of a fishery that folks have for a long time targeted kind of a low abundance, but high size structure pike population that's tipped off, kind of dipped a little bit in the last few years. And so the area is really trying to see if they can uh, match that rig a little bit better and promote bigger fish. That would be a 30 to 40 inch protected slot. I know Star Tribune had a, a story specifically on that regulation recently. Are you getting any feedback on that one yet? Do you think, uh, you think that's going to go? Honestly, I haven't heard too much. Most of the feedback at this point really goes to our area office. Um, but some of it comes to me and I haven't heard any opposition, which usually if there's early opposition, I tend to hear about it. But um, I think, you know, usually our area staff do a really, really good job with kind of early outreach and engagement even before they propose it. So hopefully they're supported, um, but um, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. We're chatting with John Hansen with the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. He's the agency's fisheries program consultant, and we're talking a little bit about some special regulation proposals that the public can comment on here in coming weeks, uh, proposals that would uh, potentially be in effect sometime next year. Uh, there's a number of others, walleye in Big Sand Lake in Hubbard County, sunfish in first, second, third, and fourth crowing lakes in Hubbard County, Northern Pike in Balsam, Haskell, and Scrapper Lakes in Itaskan County. Uh, another Northern Reg in Pearl Lake in Stearns County. And Crappie and Sunfish in Clearwater and Maple Lakes in Wright County. Any that jump out at you that uh, you'd like to highlight? We don't have a lot of time here today, John, but was there you know anything that you'd cite specifically that you think would be of interest to listeners? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit it on gull, and that's going to be a big one. That's a popular fishery, obviously. But some of those in um, those sunfish rigs in the Stearns County are, again, continuations of the same concept that we're rolling out with our quality sunfish initiative, where they're really popular sunfish fisheries and, and crappie to a lesser extent. But just trying to protect those quality populations that folks are telling us they really want. So those are some big ones. The other ones are, are largely um, some simplification and kind of reviews to, to ultimately hopefully simplify our regulation sets. So just appreciate folks' input. Some really simple ways for folks to uh, to chime in on this. There's an online survey at mndnr.gov backslash fish regs. That's an easy one to remember, mndnr.gov backslash fish regs. 
That uh, online survey is available through Friday, October 20th. And so you can't go wrong there. Just click through, and uh, I, I got to think that just takes a few minutes. Yeah, that's we've really been relying on these kind of um, voluntary questionnaires more and more. We still have our public meetings that we offer folks, but those questionnaires are, are real quick. We're getting a lot of really good feedback from folks uh, kind of across the board, more so than I think we were getting from our public meetings. So, And, and people can also just contact the Area Fisheries Office directly if they just search for the Fisheries Office contact information, either email or phone number. They're always welcome to, to let their voice be heard directly to the office. So lots of options. Looks like, yeah, that's pretty easy to get to also, mndnr.gov backslash areas backslash fisheries. You can find your local fisheries office that way also. And then, like you say, there's a bunch of public meetings. I believe the one involving Gull Lake is already in the rearview mirror, but all the rest are coming up in late September and into October, correct? That's right. They'll all be wrapped up here, I think, by October 4th. But you can, uh, if you just go onto our website and search for, you know, input opportunities for proposed fishing regulations, you'll get a page that lists the uh, that lists those public meetings, locations, and times. Um, also in the press release that should be linked in there as well. So, And then uh, it looks like if all else fails, John, I hope you don't mind me pointing this out, but uh, folks can submit comments to you directly. Do you mind if we throw out your email and phone number? No, of course. Um, and I, sh- I should also add, we, we always have kind of a statewide open house, too, that folks are welcome to come um, in person and actually see me here. I'll be sitting here for, uh, you know, from 1 to, 1 to 4 p.m. on October 3rd here in our central office taking comments. But you're welcome to come there. Or if you want to just contact me directly, um, my phone number is 651-259-5239. Or my email is john, J-O-N, dot Hansen, H-A-N-S-E-N, at state.mn.us. Excellent. So, hey, there you go. There is government accessibility for you. doesn't come much more clear than that. If folks want to get involved and chime in, there's a number of ways. I'd encourage folks go to outdoornews.com. We've got the list of all these lakes. The DNR website's got it posted, the print version of Outdoor News. So I know we ran through a lot there quickly, but, you know, it's all about improving fisheries ultimately, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, like I said, this is part of our a pretty intensive individual lake planning process that a lot of work and thought and survey data go into these things and put it all together is what public wants to do. So Perfect. Well, John, thanks for joining us and uh, good luck fishing and hunting this, this fall. Thanks, Rob. It's a great time of the year. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, get the word out here. Good. I appreciate you joining us. With that, let's get in a break. More of the broadcast after these messages. Welcome back, everybody, to WCCO Outdoors on this Sunday, September 17th. I'm Rob Dreesline from Outdoor News. Very happy to have all our listeners with us today as we wrap up another gorgeous September weekend here in Minnesota. Hey, we are bearing down on waterfall hunting seasons across the region. Already had some early teal hunts kicking off. Uh, So a lot of waterfall data is on everyone's mind. I wrote my column recently about the waterfall population status report from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And I'm really excited right now to devote an entire segment talking to someone from Ducks Unlimited specifically about the waterfall status uh, across North America. And joining us now to do just that is John Colusi. He's out of Dexter, Michigan. He's the Ducks Unlimited Director of Science and Planning, and he's with us now. John, thanks so much for joining me for a segment. I'm excited for the next uh, 10, 15 minutes here. I always appreciate the opportunity to talk about ducks, Rob, so thanks for having me this morning. Real quick, Ducks Unlimited, the nation's largest conservation organization, certainly involving waterfowl. You folks are based down in Memphis, Tennessee, but you've got staff like you all over the continent working on habitat projects to try to improve 
uh, duck populations, duck and goose and swan populations around the continent, right? Yeah, that's correct, Rob. We partner with uh, our sister organizations, Ducks Unlimited Canada and Ducks Unlimited New Mexico, to deliver continental scale conservation. Uh, ducks.org is the uh, website, I believe, correct? Yes, www.ducks.org. Well, hey, let's talk about the uh, the status of waterfowl in North America. This survey that the feds have been conducting goes back 75, 80 years, something like that. I believe uh, our old friend Art Hawkins uh, was one of the gentlemen that was involved in, in creating the transects that are uh, that are so pivotal for uh, getting this data every year. We had a break for a couple of years during COVID. Uh, the Fish and Wildlife Service folks uh, didn't want to go up in airplanes, close contact, that whole thing. Uh, but we're kind of back on track with this survey. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. That's one of the longest running wildlife surveys uh, in the world. Um, started in 1955. And so we have a really, really long-term data set, and it's uh, it's interesting to look at trends over time. And I always stress when these numbers come out, you know, people get really excited when we see a population drop, and it's like, well, okay, let's not get too excited. If we see a long-term trend, then then there's really cause for concern. I was working the state fair, Minnesota State Fair, a couple of weeks ago, John, and. It was nice. I had some young waterfowlers come up and talk to me about duck hunting. And I argued with them a little bit about some duck numbers. I was a little bothered by how little they knew about conservation history. And and I talked about some duck numbers being down. And one guy said, well, how do they know that? And I said, well, they've been doing this survey for, you know, as long as your grandfather has been on the planet, probably longer. This is really solid data, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, every year, if if there's a problem with some aspect of it, they adjust it for the next year. That's why a long-term study like this is pretty reliable. Would would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And and you can't get too caught up in the preciseness of the numbers because there is variability around those, right? There's variance around those estimates. And so we're looking at these trends and that's really the value of this long-term data set. And, you know, we hear people say, oh, those are just paper ducks and stuff like that. It's like, well, you know, these are indexes that we're interested in measuring and monitoring over time. And that's the value of them. It's not the absolute numbers. People kind of get wrapped around the axle over those numbers when they come out every year. And, and I'm, you know, I'm a waterfowler too, so I, I get excited about them as well. But I also think back to some of my waterfowling days when I was a bit younger, when I was in grad school in Missouri. And, you know, we were there in the 90s and saw some some very, very restricted seasons, you know, like right. three, and, 3 and 30. But those were some of the most spectacular waterfowling experiences that I had in my life. So take heart when the numbers drop a little bit. It still can be very good out there. All right. Well, about that, now now I'm going to do exactly what uh, I, I was critical of other people doing uh, by drilling into some of these numbers with you, John. Yeah. So we're at, we're at 32.3 million ducks. Uh, that's what the, uh, the survey says uh, here in the duck factory. That's down 7% from 2022, and it's down 9% off the long-term average. I think I would point out we're on a several year run here where the numbers have kind of been con- been down for consecutive years. I wrote part of my column about this. What's going on? Certainly we got a drought cooking, but I, I'm the guy, I'm a conservation guy, John, and I have to go out of my way. I've got to point out to folks, we're, we've lost a lot of CRP acres. We've lost a lot of upland, associated upland grasslands, and that's got to be contributing to this decline. Do you agree? Yeah, and I, I think you hit it on the head there. Um, habitat loss is obviously a serious concern through time. Upland nesting habitat through CRP 
but also this this drought that we're in. We saw a little bit of recovery from the drought, the, the, the serious drought that we've had in the Dakotas in particular, but there's still, you know, that's a small portion of the prey pottle region. In, the, in Canada, conditions were, were much, much worse. And so that's uh, a big part of the duck factory. And so that's, we don't have wet conditions across the entire PPR. You know, it's very difficult to characterize conditions over that vast space. And so we get field reports and, and look at the drought monitor and things like that, do the best we can with predicting what's going to happen. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. I am Rob Jerisline. We are chatting with John Calusi, Director of Science and Planning for Ducks Unlimited. We're uh, kind of analyzing the waterfall population status report that uh, came out here a few weeks ago as we uh, consider prospects for 2023 waterfall hunting across the region. John, you mentioned 3 and 30 uh, back in the 90s. We've been on a roll here, 6 and 60 forever, as long as I've been the editor here at Outdoor News. You know, what's it going to take? I mean, at at what point do you get worried and say, you know what, maybe we should uh, tap the brake here a little bit and go with a a 3 and 30 season or or what would be the interim, a 4 and 45 season, something like that. Are are we getting to the point where you you think that might be uh, something to consider? Well, that's that's all dictated by the adaptive harvest management models that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the flyways kind of convene on. And, and we've been using AHM for quite a while. And, and as that process started, yeah, you're right. We've had a run of liberal seasons because we've had unprecedented wet conditions on the prairie pothole region. And ultimately, you know, we had record numbers of ducks, you know, not that many years ago. Right. So, and now we're seeing a bit of a downturn. Now that downturn is still not as low as what we experienced in 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 the '90s or the '60s. You know when it was really dire. We're not approaching that yet, and so it'll take a few more years here of of surveys to see where we land. But but right now we're still not even as low as we were in the late '90s, early 2000s. So we're still not too far off the long term average. When I was drilling into the data a little bit, I got a little concerned about scop, lesser scop. You know, I'm in Minnesota where we love our bluebills here. Uh, it seemed like for years the eastern Dakotas were kind of supporting bluebills. Uh, we were seeing declines elsewhere, like you say, in the in the prairie pothole region, particularly prairie Canada. But things held up pretty good there, and scop numbers were not in bad shape thanks to the the Dakotas. Uh, they're still up, I think, a little bit above the long-term average in the Dakotas. But they're way off where they were, you know, five, six years ago. They were like 200% above the LTA. And uh, I, I don't know, did, did you flag that that concerning to you to see, uh, you know, bluebill numbers uh, coming back down to earth? Yeah, I mean, there's still like, you know, an estimated 3.5 million scop between greater and lesser scop. That's still a lot of scop. You know, we're still, that was a 4% decline from last year overall um, across the entire uh, traditional survey area. And we're down about 29% from the long-term average. So scop are still a concern and a species of great interest. Any uh, bright spots that you would like to highlight? I, I presume you know, the pintail thing, that, that's always good to see yeah. pintail numbers. Yeah, online. seeing an up, uptick in pintails at 24% was really good. And I think they found the water in the Dakotas. And, and so they're really good at that. Pintails are, are, are early. They arrive. Um, they don't see water, they'll move on. And, you know, it seems like they encountered water in the Dakotas and settled in and, and we had a good year there for pintails. Um, but unfortunately, they're still 43% off the long-term average. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, we're still concerned about pintails. And so, yeah, there's uh, other bright spots. You know, we had a uh, uptick in green-winged teal, but everything else was, everything else 
species wise was was down this year, which isn't surprising with the total duck numbers, right? Another species that for years it seemed like I heard from the feds, you know, I'd see a lot of individual species down, but the good old mallard was always was always way up. And and I was told from folks at the Fish and Wildlife Service, well, you know, the model's kind of built around mallards. If you got robust mallard populations, so that's the bread and butter bird for so many hunters. But we're seeing mallards decline a lot. I, I uh, Dennis Anderson pointed out in his column last uh, week here in Minnesota that at the at the Minneapolis Star Tribune that for the first time ever mallards were not the number one bird in hunters' bags in, in Minnesota last year it was blue winged teal, and I think wood ducks may have even come in second, a little bit ahead of mallards. It seems like we're seeing mallard numbers down across the PPR. I'm particularly concerned, and I keep pointing this out to my Michigan Outdoor News editor. Did I see mallard numbers down like 75% off the LTA in Michigan? And you know what's going on in the eastern half of the United States with mallards? Yeah, you know we, we've we've seen a long term decline in Great Lakes mallards and and also eastern mallards, which are which are a bit further east in the northeast uh, states of the U.S. and then also the eastern survey area in, in Canada. And so, yeah, you know, it's it's of concern. You know, when you get a drop like that, particularly in Michigan, you know, a 41% decline between 2023 and 2022, it's kind of makes you scratch your head a little bit about whether what's going on there. Think about the survey. Was the survey timing off? Were there some issues with, with flying dates and visibility and things like that? And I'm not for certain on, on any of those things, you know. They fly the survey uh, use the same methods every year. And so, you know, it's like, uh, I think they have pretty good confidence in that, that survey methodology. And so we have to have to assume that what we're seeing is, is somewhat real. You know, there's a lot of hypotheses to what's going on out there. You know, obviously habitat loss, things like that. We, we don't experience in the Great Lakes or in the East, you know, these, these significant wet, dry swings and droughts like we see in the Prairie Pottle region. It's a, it's not as arid a region. And so wetlands tend to be a little bit more stable. And so when you see swings in populations like that, it, it kind of makes you scratch your head. And so we've actually, Ducks Unlimited is partnering on uh, some research with uh, Wisconsin DNR, um, Michigan DNR, uh, Illinois DNR, and Michigan State University is leading the project. And we're we're looking at movement ecology. Um, one thing we've we've seen over time, just anecdotally from biologists, is there we're seeing more and more mallards in urban areas. And those mm-hmm. are areas that do not get surveyed through the air. Um, it's just too dangerous to fly those areas. And, and and so they're not recorded on the survey. And so, you know, the question arises, well, are mallards moving from rural areas that are surveyed to areas that are, you know, unsurveyed? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of looking at, at movement ecology there. Um, but we're also interested in looking at reproduction and what's going on there, the proportion of hens that initiate nests, do they actually hatch a nest? Are they successful? We're also looking into genetics of these birds as well. Um, ben Lucan and our PhD student is, is, is uh, drawing blood samples from hens that are marked with radio transmitters, and we're looking at genetics. We're seeing a high proportion of game farm genes mm. in, in the mallards in the Great Lakes, and we also see that in the east. And right. so now there's no smoking on there. Mallard releases happen from game farms and still are happening to this day. You know, Especially out east. I think a lot of folks in Minnesota don't know about that. But yeah. uh, I know that Maryland, the Chesapeake Bay region, there's there's a, a strong history of that, right? Yeah, yeah. In fact, that, that, that that's probably why we have breeding mallards uh, in the east today. They were only an occasional visitor out there, and usually during migration in winter, um, they were pretty rare. And so 
that was kind of an impetus for boosting populations back in the day before we knew anything um, about genetics and thought it was a good idea. Um, and now it's it's mostly game farms, you know, put and take um, tower shoot places, things like that, that, that are currently doing releases. And so, you know, there are a, there's a lot of research ongoing on that and whether these birds might be maladapted, you know, based on bill morphology and things along those lines. Uh, is their survival different? Is there something different about their reproduction? We are seeing in the Great Lakes through this telemetry study we're involved in that a lot of these birds in urban environments simply don't move. They don't migrate. And mm-hmm. they'll, they're getting hand fed. There's open water associated with river systems. You know, in fact, we had a bird, I think, that was marked up in the UP that was associated with a warm water outlet on a paper plant and spent the whole winter up there. So there's a lot to, a lot to unravel, but we are, we are involved in research. John, I'm about out of time. I've got 30 seconds for one last question. Lesser snow geese, their numbers have definitely come down. Has the conservation order worked? Is that contributing to the uh, the lower numbers of lesser snow geese we're, we're seeing in the mid-continent portion of, uh, of North America? That's kind of a, that's kind of a, a mixed review question, I guess. Um, from what I understood early on, they didn't feel like the conservation order was, was doing what it needed to, and um, survival rates weren't dropping, and we were still seeing increases. And it's probably a combination at this point. I think, you know, with conditions on breeding areas and things like that, you know, geese are boom and bust. You know, if you have late late springs mm-hmm. or you have a, a snowstorm come through while they're right in the middle of uh, egg laying and things like that, that could wipe out production for a year. And so right. it's probably a, probably a combination of those okay. factors. John, thanks a lot. A lot of great information there. We covered a lot of ground. I appreciate you spending a long segment with me. Uh, good luck hunting this fall. If folks want more information, go to ducks.org, huh? Yep, absolutely. Visit our website, join Ducks Unlimited, support the cause. Really appreciate it. Perfect. John Calusi from Ducks Unlimited. We appreciate him uh, breaking down the 2023 Waterfall Population Status Report with us. Let's get in a break. More of the broadcast after these messages. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. Welcome back, everybody. Final segment of this week's broadcast. I am Rob Jerislein. We are here until 6 o'clock. I want to thank uh, my guests who joined us this week. We had John Hansen from the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources talking fishing regs. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more, as well as a gentleman from Ducks Unlimited uh, providing some insight into some of my questions Regarding waterfowl here in North America, I I find that uh, situation with eastern mallards fascinating. I think a lot of folks here in Minnesota probably have no clue that at one time there were massive releases of mallards out on some of those east coast estuaries, Chesapeake Bay, places like that. Almost like they released pheasants out in South Dakota, they did that with mallards. Uh, And the fact that they're not doing as much anymore might be one reason there aren't as many mallards in that uh, that Atlantic flyway. Uh, we need to do a more in-depth story on that in outdoor news. A couple recent press releases from the Minnesota DNR. I see a couple aquatic invasive species have been found in New Lakes, Starry Stonewort in Dora Lake in Itasca County, and zebra mussels, our good old zebra mussels, in Scandinavia Lake in Pope County, This tends to be a time of year when we find a lot of these invasives in new water bodies because folks are removing their docks, they're out messing around, pulling out boats, etc. And some of these invasives have glommed onto these structures during the the summer. And so, you know, they're removing it now. So obviously this is the time that they might find them. 
Speaking of aquatic invasive species, I saw a headline from Montana out west. Uh, It was a little news snippet involving some conservation officers in that state working the highways and kind of randomly pulling over boats looking for potential watercraft that might be carrying aquatic invasive species out into into their waterways, which generally so far have not been infested with aquatic invasive species. What jumped out at me when I saw the story was I think at least three of the examples they cited were boats coming from Minnesota, uh, where we have a lot of infested waters. And Minnesotans, man, we love to hook up our rigs and, and head out west and head to new waterways. Whether I think they mentioned a couple wake boats also, uh, folks that weren't even fishing. That's why it's so important to drain those live wells. You don't want to be carrying this stuff anywhere in Minnesota, Wisconsin, or certainly out west into a whole new state where, where they're trying to keep this stuff out yet. And then another little headline I saw out of Montana, a gentleman I've gotten to know a little bit over the years from my decades of working in the outdoor businesses is a guy named Ryan Boosie. Ryan worked for Kimber Firearms, I believe, at one time. He, he worked in the firearms industry, eventually left, uh, and, has, and has been an advocate for uh, what he would call sensible gun control, I suspect. He wrote a book called Gunfight, and I believe he qualifies as being called a pundit. Uh, he's been, I think, on CNN, a lot of other news networks uh, the past couple years since that book came out, uh, talking about the, the firearms issue, the gun control issue extensively. Well, Ryan announced this past week that he's running for governor out there in Montana. And I would describe Ryan as a take-no-prisoners aggressive guy. The video he produced to announce his candidacy uh, shows him and his sons blasting clays, you know, sh- you know, using guns. He's a Democrat, but uh, you know, clearly trying to make the case that uh, the, the Democrats know how to shoot guns, too. That will be interesting. I don't know if he'll win the nomination, if he will go up against the governor out there. What's his name? Greg Giafort, I believe. That will be a big race with a lot of money, I suspect, if uh, if Ryan indeed does get that Democratic nomination out there. That will be one to watch uh, next year, among the many that we get to look forward to in 2024. Finally, bringing it back around to our first guest from the Minnesota DNR, the agency has a bunch of special and experimental fishing regulations that it is considering around the state. The public has until, I believe, October 20th to chime in on those if they like them or dislike them. I wanted to comment specifically on the one that I I think I called it out with John a little bit, but the proposal to implement a protected slot 30 to 40 inches on the Gull Lake chain north of Brainerd. It would include Round Lake, some of those other water bodies. I, I think it's a brilliant idea. I am convinced that the reason we have too many hammer handle pike in these lakes is because we don't have stricter regulations protecting big pike. Fisheries biologists like Mike Knapp, who I interviewed for my column this week from the DNR, will tell you that the best way to control small pike is with big pike. And if you can have big pike and protect them in the lake, they're going to eat some of those hammer handle pike, and that's going to help all sorts of other fish in the lake. It's going to help stun it out panfish. It's just going to help put those fisheries in those lakes back into balance. So I am a strong advocate for what the DNR is proposing on that Gull Lake chain. And I hope the agency implements it. They had a public meeting, I think, on the 7th of September that was very poorly attended. It sounded like kind of a mixed bag of folks in favor of the regulation, a few couple people against the regulation. Uh, I hope the comments support the DNR's proposal for that 30 to 40-inch protective slot on Gull for Northern Pike. And I hope we get it done, get that implemented next year. We're going to have better fishing up there if the DNR does indeed do that. With that, I am out of time for this week's broadcast of WCCO Outdoors. I want to thank my guest, John Hansen from the DNR, and John Calusi from Ducks Unlimited.
I also want to thank Jonathan Lowe, the producer, again this week, and I especially want to thank all the listeners who stuck with us for the past one hour. I hope to have a fresh wild racing report for everybody next week. Between now and then, everybody have a great week out of doors. Rob Jerisline signing off for WCCO Outdoors.